four years ago? 108 sermons. Today, not exactly the way I would have hoped, yet nevertheless, we conclude our study in the book of Romans. And it's Reformation Sunday. I wish I could tell you four years and 108 sermons ago, that's exactly how I planned it. (laughs) But it ain't even close. It ain't even close. We did celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation four years ago, believe it or not, four years, 15, 17, in 2017, and we did a five-week series on the five solas, onlys. We believe Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone. We'll speak about that in just one moment. You and I will forever be indebted to the Protestant reformers. You may not know anything about them. You may not know even what I'm talking about right now. But the fact that you are testifying to the risen Jesus Christ has a lot to do with what went on amongst these courageous men and women of the 16th century. You may recognize the names of Tyndale, Knox, Luther, and Calvin, who courageously stood against the contrary doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church of the day in the 16th century, such that we have been taught by God's grace the true doctrine of justification by faith alone, by the grace of God alone, through Christ alone, in the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And so what I'm going to do today, and I do every single week I stand in a pulpit, is to repay a debt, a debt that will never be finally and fully repaid. It is an ongoing repayment of a debt. debt. Today we conclude Romans, which was the centerpiece of the Reformation. It was Luther's great discovery and led to the translation of the Vulgate, a Latin word for vulgar, which just means common. And it's one of the profound outworkings of the Reformation is that the common people got the common word. We're going to conclude today with three final words, words that are aligned with the Apostle Paul's final words to the Romans. And this will be about his personal message for me that you'll hear. First, I'm going to say something to my NDBC brothers and sisters. And I'm going to say that right out of Romans 16, 17 to 20. Secondly, I want to say something, give a final word to the New Dort Baptist Church, my New Dort Baptist Church co-workers. I want to see that in verses 21 to 23. And then finally, and exactly where it should be, as with the Apostle Paul, I want to leave you with a word to New Dort Baptist Church's God, to my God, to our God, to the only wise God, verses 25 to 27. To my New York Baptist Church, brothers and sisters, let us begin. It appears, as we heard last week, that Paul was done at 1616 when he said, greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Jesus Christ greet you. It sounds more or less like a Pauline ending, and oftentimes, though a little bit longer, it it is. But Paul bringing the plane down, just kind of touches the tarmac and decides he wants to come back up for a little while. He's going to do one more loop around the big city before he brings it in for a final landing, and I'm so glad that he did. 
It appeared that he was done in 1616, but he appeals one more time, one more time to the saints that he has yet to meet. He's got a massive network, as we learned about, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that in just a moment as well. He's got this massive network, not only where he is, but in Rome as well, and pretty much everywhere in between, but he's never been there. He's going there. This is his destination on his itinerary, but he's now going to send his greetings along the way. So his appeal and my appeal are twofold. He says, first of all, I appear to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. As Paul to the Romans, so I to the Staten Islanders. Watch out. Watch out for what? Fair question. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Makes my heart swell a little bit with, I think, proper pride when I think of the years that we've had together and how it is that we have poured forth the Scriptures together so that you have a doctrine that's in place. You have teaching that's in place and rooted and substantial. Not that mine is original. I was telling Moise a couple of weeks ago, I, preachers don't bring anything new. They're repeaters. I'm glad I had a professor in graduate school who drilled that into me. What your church is going to need, what the people of God is going to need, is you repeating the Word of God to them, not something hip and now and wow. Watch out, brothers and sisters, for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. The word literally is scandal. Those who are scandalous, you want to be careful of those going forward. And though the horizon looks good and clear, and I don't think the one who's going to be following me in this pulpit is a worry to lead you astray doctrinally, yet nevertheless, and the elders will tell you that they've heard this from me ad nauseum, that they have two basic fundamental jobs in prayer and the ministry of the Word. One is to prevent error in the local assembly and to promote truth. That's right out of the gut of the Scriptures, if you please. So watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Why? Because if you keep reading with me, verse 18, such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. They're, in other words, they're self-centered. They want the platform. They want more viewers on Twitter. They want a wider Instagram follow. They want the news in their face. They want to make themselves a place to be. And I don't know if you follow any of the news within our circles or not. They have fallen one after another like dominoes in the last decade or so. God forbid it ever happened here. I honestly believe that's one of the reasons why God never made me a big church pastor. And it looks like he's never going to do that until, until I go home to glory. It confused some of the folks in graduate school when I left because I was a little bit of their golden boy and they had me earmarked for the big churches and I, it was just not in my DNA and it's still not in my DNA and I think one of the reasons why is I've learned my own heart a little bit more and where pride lurks. If the Lord had ever put me on a platform with two or three thousand people, I would have been disintegrated. You needed to keep me humble and you did. Like the ones before you and the ones before them, and the ones that are yet to come. 
Such persons don't serve the Lord. They serve themselves, literally their belly. That's the way of expressing it in the first century. It's their own appetite, their own lusts, their own desires. They're after their own agenda, so forth. Read on, 18. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You see? You see the juxtaposition? They don't serve, they deceive. They're not giving themselves as a slave of God, thinking of others as better than themselves. No, 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 no. You'll spot them a mile away. Boy, they, they sound an awful lot like them, which is one of, the, one of the reasons why you've heard me work so hard to make sure you heard and kept me in line as well. If you walked out of here saying, man, that guy can preach, and you forgot what the message was, and I failed. And like you just heard me close my pastoral prayer, the last one with you, you can forget me. I'm perfectly fine with that. The one who needs to remember me does and will forever. Don't ever forget Jesus. You can forget me without any trouble. You forget Jesus, it's over. So you want to bless me? Give me a holy kiss and then tell me to get out the door. Because Jesus has got stuff to do. Such persons don't serve Jesus. They serve their own appetites. Smooth talk, flattery. Wow, he's eloquent. Wow, he's got a stage. Wow. And they deceive the hearts of the naive. It's going on in Staten Island right now. It's going on in Boston. It's going on in Austin. It's going on in L.A. It's going on in Chicago. Wherever there's a church, there are smooth-talking men, usually, who are building their own platform, and those who are not rooted in doctrine are biting, and they're taking it hook, line, and sinker only to watch this implosion, and then the church scatters, and the world goes, ha! That's why I'll take a thousand new to a Baptist church, churches any day over the latest and greatest gathering of 10,000 people. I don't want to be 3,000 miles wide and a half an inch deep. I'd rather be right here, this deep. Is that all right? Is that all right? Watch out for what, what, why. And so he finishes up this section to his brothers and sisters, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Paul knows that they've got a solid reputation. But then again, it made me think about the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, right? A number of those churches in Revelation 2 and 3 had pretty solid reputations And what happened. A little nibble here, a little nibble there, and then all of a sudden, where are we? And how did we get here? One of the things that brings pastors great joy is to watch their churches continue to abide in the faith. And so when I'm in contact with you in the weeks and months and years to come, I'm going to just repeat 3 John 4 back to you. Uh, it gives me such great comfort and joy knowing that my children are still walking with the Lord. You want to bless me in the days to come? You want to honor my memory, if you please? Walk with the Lord so that when I surprise you with a visit, who knows when, I'll see your mugs, and you'll tell me, I still love the Word of God. I'm still striving after Him. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. There's a place for naivete in the Christian life. 
I can't tell you how warm it makes my heart when I speak with somebody about the raging next trend that's evil going on, and I get looked at and say, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. And I say, great, let's leave it there. That's innocent toward what is evil. You don't have to investigate every single trend that's going on so that you understand what it is. There are some things you just don't need to be exposed to because the exposure is going to start you on a crash course to nowhere. I, Paul, wants you to be wise to what is good, innocent as to what is evil, and thanks be to God what he requires he supplies. Look at verse 20. How can we do this, Paul? How can I have this enabling grace? And Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He understands the Christian life is a battlefield. He understands the battleground. He understands that Satan right now, this minute, is seeking to devour you. Not just to upset you, not just to frustrate you, not just to give you a hard time this afternoon. He wants to destroy you. And Paul reminds his people that, look, you, you, you can feel the frustration, but you need not be discouraged because there's hope. Why? Because not only is Satan presently on a short leash, that's, that, that happened at Calvary's cross, but there's a day coming too when he will finally and fully be eradicated. He'll be removed from the situation. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's the fulfillment of the first gospel announcement made in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when he says to Eve, the, the, the one who is going to come after this child is born and is going to bruise his heel, he, that child, will crush his head. It's an amazing image that was drawn for us in Genesis chapter 3.15. The first announcement of the gospel is that his child is coming that will appear to be defeated, but in that defeat is ultimately overcoming evil and sin and death. This is what Paul's referring to right here. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In other words, Paul says, Jesus is on the throne. He's in control. He will ultimately overcome all evil. And if it's getting its upper hand in your life right now, you need not be ultimately defeated. You come back. You claim this, if you please. Remind the Lord himself of what it is that he's done on Calvary's cross and that you ask for that power to overcome so that you can watch out. You can be discerning about truth and error going forward. To my New York Baptist church brothers and sisters, remember that ignorance guarantees immaturity. I'm going to say it again. Ignorance guarantees immaturity. Ignorance of the word guarantees immaturity in the life. If you think you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and not be regularly in the word, you're fooling yourself. You're actually in the process of being deceived. Ignorance guarantees immaturity. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let us now go on to maturity. How do I do that? You get yourself in the Word of God. Remember that ignorance guarantees immaturity. There's a vulnerability to deception, to false doctrine. You, you default rely on faulty reason and worldly wisdom. Sounds good to me. 
little Jesus sprinkled in here, little sin language, though not usually sprinkled in here, grace abounds, and everything you got going on, it's all good. God's ex- God accepts you just as you are. No need to change, says no gospel writer. So, my dear brothers and sisters, obey the word. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus tells his disciples, right, to go and make disciples. And how are they to do that? They're to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? And to teach. Baptism is the start. Teaching is the fulfilling and finishing. And what are they supposed to teach? Teach them to obey, the Scripture says, Matthew 28, 20, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Elders, I'm going to talk to you in just a second. Pastor Moise, I'm going to talk to you in just a second. Teach the disciples of Jesus Christ to obey everything that Jesus commanded. You will do nothing better than to direct the people of God to the Word of God and to command them, because they ought to obey you, to command them to do everything that Jesus has commanded them. Do something radically unstaten Island right now and submit to an authority. the Word of God, but not just the Word of God. Also obey your leaders. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. I tell you this all the time. This is a text that preachers don't preach. They don't want the focus to be on them. I'm going out the door. I'm going to preach it because he won't. But he needs me to do this right now. Hebrews 13, 17. The Word of God tells the people of God to obey the Word. The Word of God also tells the people of God to obey their leaders. Here's the verse, 1317. Obey your leaders and submit. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. And if you think that's a light thing, I'm here to tell you. It is the most weighty thing a man can bear. No drama in that sentence whatsoever. Any elder worth his salt loses sleep worrying about the body of Christ. Right now, the elders of this church are called to keep watch over your souls. What does that mean? It means they might bug you every once in a while. It means they might call you when you don't feel like being called or you don't want to talk to anybody. They have watch over your souls. So if you're out playing around and you're not in the Word of God, you ought to expect a loving elder to come to you and say, hey, we've got some concerns here. Don't be, all, don't be all United States here on them. Don't be all American and say, hey, you know, my turf. Don't you, don't you bug, butt in here. Elders butt in so that you don't lose your way. Obey them. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's, that's, a, that's a fine piece of humor right there. What this writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, if you're a pain in the neck, you're going to make their life miserable. So bless them. Be receptive to their approach so that you have joy. 
You, you think it's easy for them to have joy if you're moping on them? Come on, church. To my New York Baptist church, brothers and sisters, remember that ignorance guarantees immaturity. Obey the word and obey your leaders. Michael Bird is an Australian. You've heard me quote him before. This is juicy. My experience of churches in the UK, the USA, and Australia, most evangelical churches do not get easily fooled by big and obvious heresies like denying the deity of Christ or denying the humanity of Jesus. More often than not, the danger is teaching that is vague and mushy, watered down, without substance, and has the theological depth of a parking lot puddle. You end up with a sermon diet that has the spiritual nutrition value equivalent to living exclusively on chicken McNuggets. A former mentor of mine used to call it the journey through the land of marshmallow fluff. On another occasion, the danger is trendiness, wanting to be liked and loved by the masses, to be spoken of positively in the media, which puts pressure on pastors as much as parishioners to downplay certain aspects of the faith like sin and the atonement and judgment and hell. Here, preaching becomes akin to pandering at the pool of popularity. God forbid that ever happened at New Dope Baptist Church. To my New Dope Baptist Church co-workers, verses 21 to 24. Paul, not only last week, as we saw, not only had mission plans and mission prayers, but he also had mission peoples. And now his diverse inner circle, those that are with, with him right now in Corinth, which is apparently where Romans was written, send greetings. Every one of them sends greetings, greets you. Godly leaders are called to care about the church beyond them. That's why I keep missions in front of you every single week. Yes, they have a responsibility for the parochial. Yes, the elders of New Dope Baptist Church ought to care for the people of New Dope Baptist Church, but it doesn't mean that that's where their ministry is limited. Here, Paul's expressing the well wishes of other leaders and their desire. Hey, how are things going on the other side of the pond? Are people walking in love? Are people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus? The elders at New York care about what's going on in Bangladesh. And so they should. Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius and Jason and Sosipper, fellow Jews, Tertius, the, the amanuensis is the technical term, it's the secretary. He's writing as Paul speaks Romans. Can you imagine being that guy? I can't wait to meet him. Tell me, what was it like for however long it took Paul to get all of Romans out? Oy vey, let me tell you. This, this Jew, he can talk so fast, I couldn't get this all down. What a special place, huh? Isn't that going to be an amazing thing when you get to glory and you meet Tertius? You know, I can just imagine him wearing like a little badge. Says, I wrote Romans. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Gaius, a man probably of great wealth, hosted Paul and the whole church. 
he lived probably in a big place that would house dozens, perhaps, of people. And check this out, Erastus, the city treasurer, a political bigwig, comes to Christ. And our brother Quartus, that's it, our brother Quartus. Hi, I'm Quartus. I was with Paul. Tertius gets all the highlights here, but I'm Quartus. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I said, please do. You see how eclectic the group is? You see how diverse even this is? We saw all that in the longer list last week. But here, you've got Gentiles and Jews. You've got political bigwigs. You've got barely no names. You've got secretaries. You've got wealthy people. You've got poor people. And they're all sending greetings. This is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the great neutralizer. You've got to humble yourself and come to the cross, to the elders. This, I, won't, I won't be able to keep this one down. Anthony, you've loved the church well. And you have taught me, brother, how to, how to live after losing a wife. If it should happen to me, I have a living example. And I'm grateful for that. The church greets you, brother. Brother Paul, and your dear wife, Roberta, who is on record as saying she loves me like one of her sons. I still don't believe her to this day. Because first of all, I don't talk to her on the phone every day like she does with her boys. Paul, I will not miss your corny jokes. But I have a sneaking suspicion that I have not heard the last of them either. You are well known among the Gideons and pretty much everybody else on Staten Island. I will always think of you as, as the flower. Bright, blooming, giving, almost to a fault. You've taught me a lot, my dear brother. Brother Nader, you were an elder I did not inherit. I thought and prayed that you would be worthy of the elder board. And you humbled me that night when you struggled to believe that you were being asked to serve as an elder. And that's when I knew that you needed to be an elder. You, the good doctor, and your dear wife, Claire, have been such a strong support, particularly to my wife, that it has marked us deeply. And your humility and unwillingness even to be referred to as a doctor has been also a model for me in humility in the days to come. Tom and Jill are not here. It's part of me that's grateful for that. Jill, a dear servant of the church and continues to lead our prayer for the school, there are a few things that warm my heart more than to know that as I go out the door, there is an on-fire praying team for this school and this church. Tom and I worked very well together. It was a little bit like Tom and Jerry. <laughs> he was out running around saving the world, and I was staying right here saving Tom <laughs> so that Tom could save the world. 
a dear brother. In some ways, we couldn't be more different. But when you drilled down far enough, there was a heart that was united and ungrateful and longed to see what God does with them at Calvary. These church are your elders, and they remain eager not just to greet you, but also, like Christ, to serve you. I didn't forget them. head is Timothy. And as Timothy was to Paul, so my dear brother Maurice was and is to me. I will never be able to give God enough thanks for that rather innocent breakfast that was shared with Mike Luciano and Moise and myself, when Mike spoke what would become incredibly important words in the life of this church. Mike, I'll remind you, was the executive pastor at the time at Calvary Baptist in the city, and Moise had come across their radar as a possible staff member. Mike's words to me were something like, we're not going to be able to use him here, but I thought you might want to talk to him. You think? We have grown in ways that I've never imagined. Luis knows how much I struggle. I've told him somewhat to his disbelief, but I know my own heart. And part of the reason why I am leaving is because ministry here has just simply become too much for me. I no longer could live with myself knowing that having been called to the pastorate and to pastoring and not being capable of doing it because of the demands of wearing both hats left me short of the work that I wanted to do in him, with him, for him, and his dear, dear family. He's a gracious man and has already forgiven me time after time. It is between me and my God to make peace with the pain that I still feel with regard to that. Very early on in our relationship, Moise and I spoke about him possibly being my successor one day. We both agreed that we did not think it would be this soon. I'm grateful to the elders and to you for giving this dear brother and his dear family a chance. You need to come alongside of them and support them. This is their first go-round. You need to be praying for them 
and you need to have reasonable expectations. Moise is not me. Melinda is not Kate. And their two kids certainly are not Hannah. But they're enormously gifted by God. And they're going to bring content to you that I am not capable of doing. Pray for them. Be patient and long-suffering with them. They love the body of Christ. They love you. They're young. These are going to be deep and profound first impressions. Let's give them good ones. Brother, like Paul said to Timothy, I declare to you, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example. Do that, brother, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that everyone in this room can see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this because you're going to preach bad sermons. And I'm going to tell you right now in the hearing of the saints, brother, that you are not as good as your last sermon. It may not mean a whole lot to you right now, but days aren't long before you find out what that means. Somebody spoke it into my life and it needed to be done. I'm speaking it into yours. You're going to drive home from here on Sunday afternoons miserable, thinking there could not be something worse preached. There will be, and you won't have many of them. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. To my New York Baptist Church co-workers, as you devote yourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, Acts 6.4, remember these words also that Paul wrote to Timothy. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness, so that God perhaps may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captivated by him to do his will. That, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 to 26. And now, to our God, the only wise God, Paul and I appeal to our brothers and sisters. He and I acknowledge our co-workers but when it's all said and done, Paul and I leave the final word for God, the only wise God. Paul and I realize that God's work can only be done in God's way, in God's time, and with God's strength. And this is why he says, as he closes, what some have called, and I would not argue, the greatest letter ever written by a human being. Now to him, to him, 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, Paul's gospel and my gospel are the same gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. See, Paul understood that all of ministry, all of life comes down to the gospel centered on Jesus Christ. And here again is the apostle's emphasis on the word of God. Paul's leaving Romans by calling the people of God through the leaders of God to the word of God. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages in the past, but now, hear those words, but now has been disclosed. We're on this side of the cross, and the mystery that had been hidden all this time has now been revealed to us in the extraordinarily privileged place that we're in has been kept secret for long ago, but now has been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings, he can't say it enough, and now through the prophetic writings has been made known to all of the nations at the time. This was not by an accident. The verse goes on to tell us, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. What I am doing right now is in direct obedience to the declared word of God so that your faith might lead you to obey what Christ has taught his people. Amen. To this God, To this God, who knows my heart only so well, to the only wise God, to him only be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. One of the most meaningful slogans associated with the Reformation was in Latin, Ecclesia Semper Reformenda Est. The church must always be reformed. It is literally perfect that I leave on this word. The church must always be reformed. NBC, NDBC must always be examining herself in light of God's holy word in order to maintain purity of doctrine and practice. You stop changing, you stop reforming, you die. So my exit and Brother Moise's entrance is part of the reforming of New Baptist Church, entirely in the hands of God. I am not the church, never will be. Christ and Christ alone is the church. 
one last question, New York Baptist Church. Going forward, please take this question to heart. It's the last thing that I will ask you. What will be your role in the next reformation of New York Baptist Church? To you, the only wise God, I will close in prayer, Father, and I will give you thanks. I will give you thanks. I will give you thanks for your goodness and for your patience and long-suffering that has been displayed to me through these people. Father, if I have at any point in time in my time with these dear people been any way near leading anybody astray, I pray as I have prayed over the years, that you would eradicate that from their minds and from their hearts. But where we've been on the mark and where our gospel has been the gospel of Jesus Christ, then let it burn and let it go deep and let it have roots that fears nothing in this world and courageously takes Christ to it. Indeed, to the only wise God, may there be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ alone. Amen and amen.